Would you turn your Bible, please, to two passages of Scripture? Second, ten, Second Samuel chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 6. May we pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, and that God is indeed so good to us. All of these great praise hymns have reflected on the trust we can place in the Almighty God through Jesus Christ, who never changes the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so lift our hearts in adoration and worship and praise to Thee. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I'm reading first from Matthew chapter 6. If you were in Sunday school today, you studied this passage of Scripture. We begin with verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature. And why are you anxious for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the ethnos, or the nations, or the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Nothing brightens life. for ourselves or for others, 
so much as the spirit of thanksgiving. If you've ever been around a person who's down all the time and discouraged and disgruntled, and somebody that gripes about everything, and you'd think that person didn't have a blessing in the world, didn't have a friend in the world, and was just down all the time, and then you found another person who was just up all the time, though perhaps had reasons for being down, but their attitude was up, and they were upbeat. And we're not dwelling on their own vicissitudes and hurts and sorrows and difficulties all the time. Which of the two would you prefer to be around? I don't think it takes a psychological testing for us to answer that question. Nobody likes to be around a grumbler or a griper or who's always down all the time. The spirit of thanksgiving is a spirit of joy. And I'm so glad God led Americans and our leaders to place in the calendar of the year a special day. Now I know some people call it Turkey Day or football game day and other things. And I'm sure there's nothing wrong with eating turkey on that day and nothing wrong with going to a football game on that day. But I'm glad God built into our calendar, put it in the hearts of our leaders to build into our calendar a special day in the year when we could say from our hearts, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. Amen. We just want to have a special day of thanksgiving. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who first issued that proclamation for us to have a national day of thanksgiving. Now he was only doing what Americans had done privately for years and years since the pilgrims first landed here in that terrible winter. When half of their people died, when the spring came, they went to visit the cemetery and half the folks that had come on the little boats were out there in the cemetery. They planted their crops, they worked hard, and the harvest came, and they reaped the harvest. And when, the, when November came, at the end of the harvest, they had a special day of just gathering together to thank the Lord for His blessings. There's a doctor in South Wales who prescribed a certain case when there were people uh, who had neuroses, he called the special cure a thank you cure. Patient would come full of his own woes and discouragement and pessimistic about everything, but didn't have really any symptoms of a serious ailment. He would give this advice. He said, for six weeks, say thank you whenever anyone does you a favor. And to show you mean it, emphasize the words with a smile. 
And sometimes the patient would say, well now doctor, nobody ever does me a favor. He'd say, well seek and you shall find. The spirit of thanksgiving is genuine. But in order for it to be real, it must be linked to life's actions. It is thankfulness which says to God, I hope this day in my actions have brought you pleasure. John Henry Jowett, a great preacher of another generation, said gratitude is a vaccine an antitoxant and an antiseptic. A vaccine prevents the invasion of a disgruntled attitude. An antitoxin prevents the disastrous, disastrous effects of certain poisons and diseases such as fault-finding and grumbling. And an antiseptic soothes the trouble that comes to the human soul. A girl in college stopped before she ate and thanked the Lord. She had been accustomed to doing this for years in her childhood. And some of the kids around her laughed at her. She turned that to them and said, what are you laughing at? Why, you know, snickering, they just said, you know what we're laughing at. And she said, aren't you grateful? And they said, what would we have to be grateful for? We paid for the food. Where'd you get the money? Our family. Where'd they get it? They worked for it. Well, where'd they get the strength? Where'd all that come from? That evening, two more girls bowed their heads and gave thanks. In just a few days, all those girls were giving thanks. The power of example Jesus said, you need food, I know you need food. You need clothes, I know you need clothes. You need a house to live in, I know you need that. Even though foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. But I know you need all those things. But he said, they're not the first thing in life. Now that would be front page news if some politician would say that today. Our politicians are all caught up in economics. That's good. We do have a problem economy. But throwing more money at it and all the ills that plague America is not really going to help America. We began a downward spiral when we turned our back on God a number of years ago. And a liberal Supreme Court appointed by liberal politicians who had gotten into office announced that no longer could the Bible be read in school. And nobody could pray because they were so scared that some denomination would have a written out prayer and a teacher would 
think that he has to read that written out prayer. I do not recall ever in my childhood a teacher reading a prayer in a classroom. Never heard of it. If we ever prayed, they prayed from their heart. I never heard them read a prayer. But everything I've read about what the Supreme Court said has to do with they were scared that somebody would prescribe a prayer and somebody would have to read it. I don't think that ever happened. It's all theory. But anyway, from the day they did that to this day, America has gone downhill. When we closed World War II, we were a leading nation in the world. Most of the world respected us. We had won some victories. Many of the people of our generation have been led to wonder about the strength of America. Thank God for the victory in the desert storm, but politically we've about given that victory away, allowing that Hitler-like man to remain in office there. Now, the thing that will really help America is for us to have a genuine spirit of thankfulness. This is something the nation can't put an edict on. Even though the president has a definite day and he says, now this is the day when America needs to give thanks. <laughs> Nobody can make you give thanks. There's not anyone that has the power to say to any lady or any man or any young person or any child, you have to give thanks. They can't do it. That originates between our heart and God. But when we have a heart of gratitude, when we have a thankful heart, that is akin to spiritual revival. And this is part of what Jesus was talking about when he said, now, I know you need clothes to wear and you need food to eat and you need a place to live. That's not news to me. I know about it. I know you need that. He, in this section, he had also talked about prayer and how important it was to pray. But he said the, the very most important thing and and in all the verses of this chapter. And you might say this is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached. And the climax of that sermon is verse 33. He said, I know you need these things, but they're not number one. They're not the major things. The one thing that will make you happy, the one thing that will give you joy, the one thing that will give you peace, the one thing that will bring blessings to your life, the one thing that will honor earth and heaven and bless your family and bless your life, if you just accept this one little formula, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But instead of that, we tend to seek all these things. Well, I had a man say to me the other day, you know, preacher, we've got to make our dollar. We've got to 
make a living, we've got to do this and got to do that. I think sometimes young people feel that way when they've grown up in Christian homes and then they desire to get a job and the job markets today almost demand that you work on Sunday. And we have a few young people who have dared begin to go down. You say, preacher, you're not even being practical. Well, there are certain things about the gospel that are not very practical. There are just certain things that are not very practical. They're just, Jesus said, you seek this first. And I'll take care of you. One of our young men years ago <clears throat> in our church, he'd surrendered to preach. He had a job at a restaurant, and the restaurant owner had been a Christian, but he got away from God, and he began to serve liquor. And uh, he didn't serve it, he didn't really sell it, he just allowed it to be served in his private parties. And this young man went to the proprietor and said, now I can't take part in that. Well, he said, you'll have to. You're going to work here. He said, well, I can't work here then. Now, the man, young man needed a job direly. But he quit that job out of principle. And you know what God did? God gave him a job paying a lot more at another place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Sometimes we weary and fret and toss about our budgets and where we're going to get our money. And so we pay the bank and we pay for the automobile loan and we pay for the doctor bills and we pay for this and we pay for that and we pay for the other things which we ought to do. But we leave God the last and when we get to God, we say, well, now God, you're a good old God. We know that you understand that you know our hearts and my heart's right and I want to do the right thing, but I just don't have any money left. And in your mind, psychologically, somehow you've gotten soothed into sleep by thinking that God's some kind of little goody old Santa Claus upstairs, a living doll that understands everything about you. And he'll say, okay, it's all right. But that's not what God's Word says. This Word says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put the Lord first. Put Him first. And all these things will be added to you. You say, that's not practical. There are certain things that are not practical. You just have to accept them by faith. The whole plan of God's economy and dealing with man is an economy of faith. Salvation begins in faith, it continues in faith, it ends in faith, it climaxes in faith. Heaven is by faith. By faith we believe that the worlds were formed by the Word of God, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. By faith Abraham 
went down to a place where he didn't even know where he was going and offered his son Isaac on the altar. And God honored that faith and said, Abraham, don't touch that boy. Over in the bushes, there's a scapegoat. God honored his faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more, sac- more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Moses. By faith, Samuel. By faith, Isaac. And on and on we could go in the roll call of the faith. You see, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage us today, just by faith, to say thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a prayer warrior. How do you know God answers prayer? A lot of times on a human level, we're, we, we have reasons to wonder. Because you pray about a thing, and sometimes you don't see the answer to that right away. It's a marvelous thing when we have an answer to prayer that comes quickly. But not all prayers are answered in November. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes we pray for healing. The healing doesn't come. And our faith is tried. Sometimes we pray for another job and we have to wait a while. And if we're not men and women of faith, we're going to begin to wonder, does God really answer prayer? Does it do any good to pray? Faith says yes. Wait. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Just wait. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Paul Smith wrote a book called World Conquest. Speaking of our great need in the spiritual areas of the church, he speaks of the money that moves the machinery and he suggests three things that would be wise for us to to listen to. Number one, not men, but money. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that young people have volunteered to go offer their lives in the Lord's army? But there are a lot of people who have not offered their finances to help support them to go. How many men would match their sacrifice with their giving of 50% to send them? J.F. McKinley was a friend of mine. He and I grew together in college. He was from a farm down in Clinton County. He went out to Bangladesh. 
He served there over 30 years. He's been in our church a number of times. <clears throat> when Jim first surrendered to missions, he was a farmer. His dad had a farm. And he looked forward to, to Jim helping him on the farm, and the farm would eventually go to Jim. <clears throat> when Jim offered his life on the altar for missions, <coughs> his daddy walked down the aisle that same night. He said, I want to lay my life on the line to support my son, to help him get an education, and to stand beside him as he goes to Bangladesh or goes out to missions. At that time, he wasn't sure where he was going. The time came when Jim's dad had to sell the farm. They moved to Louisville. Their dad got a job at a factory, which he was not used to doing, <clears throat> in order to support Jim through his education, in order to go out to missions. All these 30 years, every life he has touched in Bangladesh, I think part of the dividends of rewards go to that daddy. His daddy ended, landed up in a nursing home in the old days, in, the, in his older days, and Jim kept on serving. Just recently, <coughs> Jim has had to retire. All those years on the mission field had taken their toll. I wonder how many people are willing to offer the Lord their finances so that others can keep in the Lord's army and the gospel of Jesus Christ can be spread around the world. Secondly, Paul Smith said, not cash, but credit. Imagine that interesting. <coughs> Many people would say, well, I don't agree with that at all. Well, to just give cash, not credit. But what he means by that is that instead of tallying up all our income and saying, well, I've got to pay this and this and this and this and this, so if I have anything left, this is what I'll give. He said, what we ought to do is say, Lord, how much do you want me to be responsible for concerning your world program of work? The Lord may tell you some phenomenal figure that you know you couldn't afford. I wonder how many of us would be faithful enough to the Lord and filled with faith sufficiently to say, all right, Lord, I'll give it if you let it come through my hands. I'll give it to you and I won't use it for something else. That's what faith promise is all about. It is saying, Lord, I'm not going to give just what I have. I'm going to give what is available out there, and I'm going to ask you to let it pass through my hands so I can give it. One of the problems we need to deal with here is that we'll have to be very honest with God. Because if we make a vow like that and then God allows that money to start passing through our hands and we use it for something else, then we've sort of lied to God. Not cash, but credit. And thirdly, 
He said, uh, not charity, but choice. So many times we give God the leftovers. Our old furniture, our old pianos, our old tools. I read about a doctor, a young young intern who had just finished medical school and God called him to medical to uh, medical missions and uh, one of the periodicals carried an article that told about some of the needs that he had. Among those needs were some uh, tools for his work, some medical tools. And there was a a very famous doctor and the doctor read that article and he said well I have some old, some tools that I've been using I'm planning to get some new ones anyway I think I'll get the new ones and I'll give my this young man my old tools and so he gave the missionary doctor the leftovers and then I thought about that woman over in India. I read about this in a missionary periodical. You know, the Ganges River was the river where sacrifices were offered for many, many years and perhaps still are. And a missionary observed a woman down by the river with two little children. One was just a sickly, looked like he couldn't live very much longer, and the other was a healthy, robust little child. And the missionary saw the lady standing there by the Ganges River with those two little children. She went on down to do the work that he had to do, and when he came back, the woman was there, and just the little sickly child was there. And the missionary said to that woman, where is your little child that was so healthy and beautiful. Oh, she said, I cast him into the river to my God as a sacrifice. Well, I said, if you're going to make a sacrifice, why didn't you give the, your God that little sick child? He couldn't live long anyway. She stood up upright and she said, do you think I would give my God less than my best? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Give God the best. The best we have to give him is our heart. When he has our heart, he has that which is ours. Let's give him the thanksgiving of our soul. Let's give him the thanksgiving of our lips in praise. Let's give him the thanksgiving of our life, a life lived before him and to his glory. Let's just say, Jesus, here's my life. Take it and make it what it needs to be for your glory and honor. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of the Word of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And we remember the words of that passage in Samuel. 
I will not offer unto the Lord my God that which cost me nothing. And so may we today determine deep within our soul that no matter the cost, we're going to put the Lord Jesus Christ first. We ask it in his name. Amen. May we stand, please. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know thus saith the Lord. As we sing this hymn, <clears throat> I'm going to ask if you're willing to give your heart to Jesus Christ today, trust him as your Savior and your Lord. Would you step out from where you are and come and place your life on the altar for God? Would you do it? The very best you have, yourself. If your membership is in another church and God wants you here, would you come today and say, I want to do what God wants? And then there's some folks here who have been giving God the leftovers of their life. Just the leftovers. God wants your talent. You've been hanging on to it. God wants your life, your time. You've been sort of hanging on to it. Is there somebody who would say, Lord, here it is. I want to give it to you. I want you to have it. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do as we begin to sing. Brother Buster, tell us the number.